1: Welcome to the Think Future podcast, broadcasting from deep in the heart of Silicon Valley, California. We focus on innovation, startups, and the future, not necessarily those and not necessarily
0: in that order. Here's your host. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Hi, how are you? Good, good. great. Sorry about that little delay there. I mean, uh, coming off of back-to-back Zoom meetings all day long, you probably know the feeling too, right?
1: I know it well. I understand biology uh,
0: eventually intervenes. <clears throat> <laughs> no, <laughs> especially when you have all this coffee and water and things. You're like just Ser- seriously, <laughs> <It's> Brutal. <laughs> so, how are you doing today?
1: Doing great. Doing great. Excellent. Really happy Excellent. to be here. Excited to do
0: this. Awesome. So, why don't you go into a, a little bit of your about yourself, your background, what you're passionate about?
1: Sure. So, um. I uh, spent a long time in the advertising business. I started as a creative uh, person and uh, became a creative director, then a, a, um, a chief creative officer, and um, you know had a great time. It's a fun industry, um, mm-hmm. but you know about ten years ago, it was becoming clear that advertising was becoming less and less relevant, and it was also clear that it was getting harder to. Actually, create you know substantive business results using paid media, thirty and sixty-second commercials. Um, right. You know, social media had appeared, and and then digital everything, and the noise level was rising, and it was just obvious that something new needed to happen, and. Um, at that time, I was the chief creative officer uh, and co-president of a, a large advertising agency called J. Walter Thompson. And my partner, Rosemary, and I, um, you know, we were having a really good run there. But looking around the world, it just looked like the future was going to be more about managing decline than than about inventing the future. And I'm really passionate about innovation and, you know, trying to figure out um problems in the world that that I can put my my shoulder to and so rose and i decided to get out of the advertising business uh, about 10 years ago and launch co collective and We, uh, at Co, we refer to ourselves as a creative and strategic transformation partner for purpose-led businesses. And Mm -hmm. we have two theses as a business. Our first is that companies that are pursuing some kind of positive change in the world, something that has generosity at the core of it, um, you know, something that Companies that are pursuing social or environmental justice of one kind or another are going to do better uh, than companies that are not, because we have a new generation of consumers who care a lot about the companies that they do business with and are prepared to vote with their wallets. And so um, we help companies at Co-Collective. we help companies define and align on what that purpose is. And then our second thesis as a business is that your purpose, once you have it, isn't Shouldn't merely inform communications. It's a tool that you use to drive innovation throughout your customer experience, so that you make your purpose real for people in tangible ways in the world. Um, and our our term of art for that is is story doing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we really believe in aligning, you know, word with deed. If you if you say you stand for something as a company, if you say that your purpose is X, well then you need to prove it by doing it. And uh, certainly before you, you talk about it, we're not anti-advertising or anti-communication, but we really believe that you need to take action, do it, prove that you really mean it first, then talk about it. And um, so we've been doing that for about 10 years. And um, something that I, I remain incredibly passionate about is the power of, you know, I'm a, I'm a capitalist. I, I really believe that capitalism as a system has attracted more talent, has unleashed more creativity, more innovation, and therefore more upward mobility uh, than any system in the history of, of the world. Uh, the one small problem with it is that if if left to its, you know, if left unchecked, capitalism in its purest form will leave our, our earth a smoking and uninhabitable cinder. And so we we, you know, I, I believe in t- in in helping companies use the 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 positive aspects of capitalism to drive real change um, in a sustainable, uh, socially sustainable and environmentally sustainable direction.
0: Right now, so tell me how this differentiates from because if you think about think about a, a typical company nowadays, they all say they have a purpose, they say they have a mission, they say they have a direction. Usually, has something to do with pleasing customers, etc. How does what you're talking about different from the from that?
1: Well, it 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 doesn't differ. Uh, it's just that you can't forget about the the second part of that, which is the doing part, um, and. You know, at, at Co-Collective we have a, a process that we take companies through. Um, it's, it's, it's um, you know, it, it's fairly simple. It's uh, to, to help a company define the quest, we have four inputs. We help them really define a truth about the protagonist, them, like where are they really at? What are the truths about them and, and the business that they're in and the strengths and weaknesses that they have? We help them define a truth about the stage, what's going on in the world today, both in technology, in culture, in their competitive set that is relevant that they need to be paying attention to, A truth about their participants, we call customers participants instead of customers or your target. um, Just because we think that once you develop a good quest, you want people to come along and participate in it actually in an active way, ideally. And then a truth about the antagonist, we help companies define the enemy that they are fighting against. And we use those inputs to define the purpose, but then we take the purpose and we put it at the center of a second, uh, we call it the action quad. And we use the quest to define uh, innovation in four different areas. One is in your identity, w- how you show up in the world, in some cases your communication, but crucially in your offer, the products and services that you put into the world need to be driven by your quest as well. And they need to, it, your quest should define uh, how, you, how you handle um, internal, uh, issues, so your employees are also participants, and how you, what you celebrate and how you reward people needs to be driven by this higher purpose that you've defined. And then the last uh, quadrant there is capabilities. If you have a, a very audacious quest, and it should be a 10-year idea, it should be something that drives you into the future, it shouldn't be something that you can actually achieve tomorrow, it should be ambitious. You may need new capabilities, and so we help them define what net new capabilities they might need over time in order to actually achieve this goal. And companies that that um, you know we put ourselves through our own process, and we defined our enemy at Co Collective and. Uh, I don't know if this is a family show. We call our enemy bullshit, but we could call it BS. And we define BS as the delta between word and deed in a corporation. And our goal is to crush that down to zero. And we believe that companies that don't, companies that say one thing and do another in today's world, are going to get in trouble really fast mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> because there's so much transparency. People have, people, people know what's going on. I mean, through, all kinds, in in many different ways. They, you know, if you're a bad actor, it's gonna show up in the media, it'll show up on Glassdoor, your employees are are gonna spill your secrets. Um, And so, you know, anticipating transparency is another way to think about it. If you anticipate that everything that's going on inside your company is going to happen essentially in public, um, then that will help you, um, I think, uh, take the appropriate action based on, you know, what you say you stand for in the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I'm 100% in agreement with that because I think you can't get away with anything anymore. I mean, if you look at scandals like the VW scandal and everything that's out there, it's almost totally. like we have a, a billion investigators out there. Yeah. Whenever they smell something funny, they're like, they go after it like rabid dogs and you, you you can't get away with anything anymore. So it doesn't really pay to be anything less than fully transparent.
1: Exactly, just don't try is the key. Don't try to hide anything. be and like things things are gonna go wrong, right? Like nothing is perfect and um, but if you are honest with people and say like, look, this is a problem. we made a mistake, we screwed up. this was not you know true to our our quest, our mission, our purpose. And these are the steps we're taking. People will forgive you um, and they will allow you to, to make big mistakes and recover from them. You know, it's kind of the difference between, um, I guess one of my favorites is, is BP, right? BP tried to rebrand themselves to make the letters British Petroleum or the, the initials from British Petroleum Stand for beyond petroleum and and convince people that they were a sustainability company essentially. And then the you know the the Deepwater Horizon event happened in the Gulf of Mexico, and they completely uh, they tried did everything they could do. First of all, they had to get the well stopped. But then after that, they basically didn't change anything about what they do in the world. Um, tried to try to use PR and 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 a bunch of advertising to solve the problem, and people see through that. Um, you know, so it's it's far better to be transparent, apologize quickly and clearly when you make a misstep, and people will forgive you.
0: Yeah, a lot of times they, they feel that they could just paper over it, and oh, we'll never they'll never find out about it. Um, but it, it's it always comes out. So absolutely, I think biggest the biggest challenge that I see here is, I mean, I see no problem with a lot of companies going and leadership saying, yes, let's build a story. Let's talk about the story. uh, Let's go for it. And I think they've done, you know, they're they're partly towards that, although they probably haven't brought in as many um, actors like you're talking about as part of the story. So they've built this story, but the doing is the tough part, right? Is to actually- To, to actually, you know, live, the, live what they're, what they've created. How, how do you get pe- how do you convince people that that is what they need to do?
1: Well, we convince them, um, you know, there, there's a fair amount of data out there that to suggest that, um, story doing companies actually are doing better. It's a better way to run a business. It's actually more efficient, um, you know, which is a word that that warms a CFO's heart, right? And a CEO. Um, you know, so and and by the way, we did not make make this idea of companies that that take action based on a higher purpose up. We observed several in the world ten years ago that were already doing this, and we kind of reverse engineered our process out of like what what is it that makes these companies different and. You know, the story doing companies, we've now done a a study, we've done it three times now, uh, looking at 50 different publicly traded companies in seven different commercial categories. And the results have come back the same each time. Story doing companies, companies that live their purpose are growing faster, their share price is, is growing faster. Um, more, they are more profitable. In other words, more money is dropping to the bottom line. Um, And there are soft benefits as well that help them operate uh, better, faster, and and cheaper. You know, their uh, employees tend to be more loyal. They don't have as high turnover. Their customers are more loyal. So that keeps cost of, you know, that, It keeps them from having to spend too much on acquiring new customers. Like if you can keep somebody for a long time, it's a better way to do it. Um, And interestingly, even perceptually, uh, story-doing companies, companies that have a purpose and really live that purpose, are perceived as being more innovative, sort of from the future a little bit. Like they Mm -hmm. feel just more modern to people. And they people are... Therefore, I think because a bunch of, because of everything that I just said, much more likely to recommend them to a friend. And that is, you know, that has always been the coin of the realm. A a recommendation of a product or a service from a, or of a company from a friend is the thing that people will respond to far more than any ad that you could ever put out there into the world. And, And they achieve these results spending on average a third of what traditional uh, storytelling companies spend on paid media. And so all of that money is is freed up either to drop to the bottom line or um, in, in, in many of them, that money goes into innovation in the customer experience. It goes into creating delightful experiences either digitally or physically in the world that keep people coming back for more.
0: So this reminds me of uh, a time I, I worked at Yahoo, and one of the biggest problems that we had there was just that: is that there there wasn't really a vision. Like nobody said. I mean, you, you could look at Google and eBay and on any other the, the larger initial you know Internet one companies and say, well, you guys, you you know, you had a vision. You're a search engine, or you're a, you're a, an auction house, or you're an e-commerce site. But Yahoo never had that 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 vision, and it's just it just kept going through iteration, after iteration, after iteration. And it also makes me think that there must be other companies out there that sort of either they don't have a vision or they kind of fell into whatever they're doing and they've never had a vision. I mean, how do you convince these companies that you know, you absolutely need to do that? I mean, they'll look at the data and go, yeah, 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 that's fine. That's them. But, you know, we're working just fine. We don't need stuff like that.
1: Right. Well, you know, usually it's companies like that come to us when um, you know we 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 work with with companies who have um, hit a flat spot, right? Growth eventually starts to slow um, in 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 some of these companies, in most of these companies, um, because you just can't. You know most traditional companies. Let me let me digress for just a second, and I'll come back to this because it's it's interesting. As we've studied story doing companies versus storytelling companies, the way that that traditional companies tend to define themselves is by the product or service that they provide. So Coca Cola is a soft drink company. Microsoft is a software company. Um, story doing companies, because they have a purpose tend to not define themselves by any particular industrial or commercial category. They uh, Another way to think about the quest is it's the answer to the question, what business are you actually in? And so you take a company like Tesla. Um, Tesla is, is a story doing company that is on a quest to upend the hydrocarbon economy. The hydrocarbon economy is Tesla's enemy. And they want to usher in a new era of clean, sustainable uh, electric power. Most people outside of Tesla would think of Tesla as a car company, but Tesla does not think of themselves as a car company. They think of themselves as as an energy and infrastructure and transportation um, company that happens to also manufacture automobiles, but they make, you know, grid level storage and they make solar cells and they make power wall inside your house. So they, you know, um, so getting back to if you define yourself as a soft drink company, if you're Coca-Cola, and you are not serving some any kind of higher purpose, you hit a point where you you can't grow in a traditional way. Your your growth flattens, and all kinds of bad things happen in a company when that happens. And so often companies reach out to us when. When that is going on, when they realize that they've kind of run out of of gas in their in their current category, and we help them see uh, white space innovation areas for innovation outside of their current uh, category based on the purpose that that we help them develop, and um, it it is the answer for growth for companies like that. And look, some. Some take us up on it, and some do not. Some people just are really happy staying in their lane, and they're they're scared of of stepping outside of it. And uh, so it doesn't. I'm not saying we have like a hundred percent hit rate, but but it but it often will help a company that has whose growth has stalled.
0: Yeah. Well, you have to have you have to have leadership that's open minded enough to understand that there are different ways and different places, uh, different ways to do this. Exactly. Yeah. So what do you do about, what do you do about companies that are, um, that have, have done the story, but they don't do the doing? I mean, is there any way to sort of help trigger them into that? I mean,
1: well, you know, it's, it is a, it is an issue. Um, you know, it's, it's the, that's the hard part. (laughs) You can lead a horse to water, right. But, but the horse has to decide to drink. And so, and so, um, you know we're constantly working with our clients to help them on the positive side show them all the data that suggests that this is actually a better way to run a business and then on the down on, on the other side of the equation something that we often do is is work with them to to model the cost of inaction because this is another thing about human beings like it's human nature to uh, to to almost assume that the safest thing to do is nothing. You know, that, that you're gonna be okay if you oh, don't take definitely. It, <laughs> right if you don't take any risk, you're gonna be good. Uh, but in a time of massive transformation, and we are certainly in that in multiple vectors, like th- that is probably the most dangerous thing to do is to sit still and not be trying new things. So we try to model that cost for them as well, and 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 show them, um, uh, you know, that there is a way forward for them. And we have a we have a a product that we call Do or Die. It's a it's a workshop product that we help we take clients through that helps them, kind of we pull the whole leadership team out of their their day-to-day life um, and, and take up a, a full day of their time and, and walk them through a, a process that asks them to imagine their own demise. Um, mm. You know, in, in this, we do a thought experiment. experiment. Okay, your company has gone out of business, you have died. Um, let's, let's turn this into a murder mystery and figure out who done it, you know, uh, and, and how was it done? And you begin to open their mind to, oh, yeah, we do have, there is danger if we sit still. We we have competitors who may out-innovate us. We, you know, there are entire industries that are um, available to us. And if we don't begin to avail ourselves of this, we will wind up on on a slab at some point. Um, So... Those are the ways that we we generally try to help people kind of get out of the their initial f- state of fear and and uh, uncertainty around around innovation and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't you know I mean it it's a, it's a process.
0: Have you ever been able to convince a company that's sort of convinced it's too big to fail to, to actually do, take that route?
1: Well, it's it's very interesting. Um, we we have. Um, uh, worked at various times were project based, um, so so we we don't have retained relationships generally. We often do serial projects, and over the years we've uh, had occasion to work with Microsoft, and it's been fascinating to watch that company. Um, you know. Uh, we are not going to take credit on this or any other podcast for the turnaround that has happened at Microsoft, but we did, we have gotten to know them fairly well over the years. And one, one observation that we have about them is that they are a company that had a very ambitious quest at their birth. You know, a computer on every desktop would be, you know, the way that I think Bill Gates, um, uh, Uh, phrased it but but really it was democratization of access to information and Mm -hmm. it was lofty it was ambitious it in fact seemed fairly impossible in the beginning a lot of people laughed at Microsoft Then they they succeeded they got big and they achieved their quest and like then what do you do you're giant and you've got divisions of your company that are larger than most global corporations and and what they did is nothing they went to sleep and they didn't define a new quest and and this is mostly under Steve Ballmer like he just kept trying to
0: run the same plays because it worked in the past but it's yeah, like it works right that's what they that's what a lot of these companies it, are doing they're like oh this is working now why why should i change it
1: yeah and, and and it took a new CEO coming in, Satya, who who really shook them up and and defined a new a new vision for the company. And and he, I would say, is really doing it. You know, I mean, I I, I think um, I, I I think Microsoft is back on the the pathway to innovation. And it's been inspiring to watch them. We've been involved, you know, tangentially in, in some of it. But as I said, can't take credit for that. It's all on Satya and the people inside the company who have bought into it and and are making it happen. So, you know, it, it works um, if, if you embrace it and, you know, and really, and really work at bringing people along. That's another big part of our business is Oregon culture design because, you know, it's it, it, people, um, just fundamentally don't like change, right? They like to do things. They like to come into a to an office and do the same thing that they did yesterday, because it's comforting. And I get that. Um, but if 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 people so people will resist doing new stuff, and that that resistance is um, it's deep and it's um, it's like pudding you know you you like <laughs> you you can kind of like you you clear a space <laughs> you get people to think in a new way you turn away and you turn back and it's flowed back oh, in yep. you know like it's it's really hard to change and so you know that's 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 an area that we work very hard on with companies redefining Teams working, workshopping with different groups inside the company to make sure that they understand the quest. They understand that they have a, give them a set of tools they can use to operationalize it in their area of the business um, to try to fight the pudding, I guess.
0: <laughs> well, how much of that do you think is is actually mind changing and how much of that is people changing? Like swapping hmm. out the old, old blood for new blood.
1: I think it's a little of both. I think it's a little of both. I think you can change minds and and when you can't you have to change people. And that's that's down to the leadership team and you have to yep. have an appetite for just bringing f- fresh blood in, fresh fresh thinking, fresh perspectives. And you know, back in that in that capabilities quadrant, people who know how to do things that people inside the company just don't know how to do um yeah. because because if you don't bring in new capabilities you 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 will fail there's no way that you can ask people who were really good at making widget A to suddenly pivot to to making you know a, a, or a physical widget to suddenly pivot and make great digital products like that just doesn't happen
0: yeah yeah absolutely well i lo- i love your idea of the story being like a framework because i think that's underneath all that it just makes it easy, right? I mean, it's kind of like I, I like to say. Well, I, I'm, a, I'm a libertarian, so I like to, I like to talk about Ron Paul because Ron Paul's got this. He's got yeah. like a set of ethics that, yeah. whenever the decision comes along, he's like, well, it's easy to me, for me to make a decision because I just look, I just remember my set of ethics and I stick to that, and boom, it just takes me no time to make a decision. And right. it's the thing here is like, if you have a story that says this is our purpose, right? Yeah you know from that, and that can trickle down all the way through everything and exactly. it makes it super easy to make a decision because you know when something comes along and it, it you know it goes against your purpose you can just very easily say no we're not going to do that and yes it. we're going to do this so Dis- you know i love that concept mm,
1: thank you yeah and it does it, it it is it's ultimately what it is is it, it's a decision making tool it just yeah. allows you to call balls and strikes quickly and efficiently
0: yeah I love that. And so drilling down a little bit into the players on the stage, I love the way you said stage and players and stuff like that. It just reminded me of Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a lot of people think that sort of like the customers, because you have customers in there as um, were they just other players on the stage, because you have the protagonist who's the company, and then yep. you have your enemies who's the villains, but, and the, you have heroes and villains, and then you, where did the customers fit into this To this play.
1: Well, they're the participants, right? They are the they are the other players on the stage with you. And, you know, when you think of them as participants, you know, we we having come from advertising, you know, we use a lot of like military jargon. We're gonna target them and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna we're gonna you know, we're going to do this to them and then they're going to give us their right, run a campaign and they're going to give us all their money. So it's very uh, one-sided and it's very out, you know, in. And and we just think that that's an old-fashioned way to think about the world, that, the, that, that if you define an inspiring enough purpose, people will want to come along with you. They will join you to help you solve whatever problem it is that you are trying to solve in the world. And the best story doing companies think of them that way as almost an extension of of you know their ftes right and right. and you're it's it, it truly is more of a, a kind of community who are deciding to join hand, join forces to to do a thing and when you begin to think of them that way then you start to think about ways that you can Help them do that, right? Ways to actually participate in what it is that you're trying to get done, and partially sometimes that's buying your product, um, but sometimes it's participating with each other. You know, I mean, um, it's 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 a, a slightly older example now, but um, you know, when when uh, Nike launched Nike Plus, right? It was suddenly. It took running, which was a, 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 a sport of solo artists, right? Runners are kind of loners. And all of a sudden, you created a community of runners who not only could were aware of each other, but could compete against each other and compete with uh, the company. Mm-hmm. And it just changes the dynamic. Like it, 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 it erases the hard line between what's inside Nike and what's outside Nike, and it gives people a, a real feeling of of um, you know of participation. And that is worth its weight in gold.
0: Yeah. No, I love that because so many companies just look at them as adversaries, right? Yeah. Like, how exactly. Can we, how can we extract the maximum value out of these. These, these, you know, they're yeah. not even human, really. They're just like you, they're just dollar signs. Yeah, you hold, you you the hold
1: them signs. down, and we'll get. I'll get their wallet. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's like mugging rather than, you know, it is. It's it's kind of a crazy conception, uh, and it's. I think ultimately short sighted. The best companies, you know, really do think about people as uh, collaborators.
0: Right. So how do you how do you bring them into the fold? So let's say you're working with a company that has been um, has an adversarial relationship with their customers right now, and they're they're you know they've gone through your system and they're like, okay, now we want to we want to bring them in, and the customers are like, oh wait a second, I don't trust you guys, you, you know, in the past you've 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 knocked me over and you know emptied my wallet, how can I trust you now?
1: Yeah, well you you have to create trust not through exposition, but through action, right? I can't suddenly, if, if you don't trust me, if I've done things to you in the past that have, have caused you to question uh, me and my ethics or whatever it is, um, the last thing that is gonna get them to change their mind is if you tell them, no, it's this time it's different, trust me. You know, <laughs> we're, we're, I'm, I, I'm reformed. Um, people are going to back away with you, back away from you in that case. And so you got to do some stuff that actually creates trust. You have to change, you know, the actions that you're taking in the world. And, and, uh, you know, I would say an example of that, um, just naming a name uh, we, we love them and we loved working with them is Sally May, right? They're, they're a company that's in the, the college loan business, um, and the the fact of the matter is, um, their customers really find the re- or found the relationship when we when we engage with them to be unpleasant because, you know, it, when you dig into that business a little bit, um, the people who actually take out a Sally Mae loan are usually the parents. Usually, the kids aren't totally aware or totally paying attention to the fact that, you know, th- that this loan exists all of a sudden you graduate from college and Sally Mae jumps out of the bushes and said, guess what? You owe us a quarter of a million bucks. And that's a bad customer experience. You know, mm-hmm. people are like, Whoa, you know, yeah. where'd you come from? Go away. And, and so we said to them, like, look, you need to think instead of, your customers as college loan prospects, think of them like these are people who want to go to college. These are some, these are ambitious people. These are people with dreams. These are people who are probably going to be, you know, disproportionately uh, successful in life. Think about it as a lifelong relationship. There are if 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 you think of them as you know ambitious people who you want to help on their way, college is a part of it. But let's start before college and go. What's a pain point? Finding the right college for you is a nightmare right now. The co- you know it's just really hard. The whole you know applying application process and and figuring out culturally whether it's a fit for you and whether they they ex- excel in in the areas that interest you. What if Sally May were to set up a a tool that was free, that just helped people find the right college for them and make it simple and start the relationship on that basis. And then once they get out of college, the next pain point is establishing a credit rating, especially if you owe Sally Mae a quarter of a million bucks. And so um, create a credit card that helps, people establish their, their first credit rating coming out of college, which will then help them do an, another series of things, start their first job, buy their first home, you know there's there's just a whole series of events that you can ease their way on in the future and so they've now begun to implement that system the credit card uh it's it, we called it levels um they call it something else now but but there are three different cards that they offer in the world and there are more more um you know business expanding ideas in the pipeline and it'll it'll take time. I, you know, it's it's also not the kind of thing that that uh, you know you you flip a switch and everybody loves you. But you know, over time, they will transform their relationship with with their customers.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's key because I see it happening all the time. Like where I work with banks, and the banks like we're a bank. This is all we do. We bank, yeah. right? We have right. mortgage products. We have this. We have this. We have this. But the customer wants to uh, you know buy a, own a home. They don't want to get a mortgage. Right. They right, want exactly. to. You know, they want to save for a car. They don't want to. They want a car. They don't want to figure out how to do a car loan or whatever. Right. But, like they don't step out of their box and go. You know, let's let's go over here. Like for example, we had an ideation session once where it was like, well, you know, what happens if your customer loses their job? Well, like, right. well, you know, they can come back to us when they got a job. And I'm like, what? You're not going to help them get a job? And all I got was like blank stares. It's like, right. why, why wouldn't? Why doesn't a bank get into the job plate, the career placement business? I mean, it right, seems, exactly. Seems like. <laughs> I mean, I can understand there might be some regulatory issues, but, you know, spin something off and do something. It's like, go to where your customers are, like, you know, listen to them, be what they want you to be, as opposed to, you know, be what you are.
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think banking, healthcare, the places where <clears throat> that that people find the experience the worst these days are the places where there is the most... Uh, potential for innovation. You know, it's yeah. just it's just about getting people to change their frame. And you hear that a lot in in financial services and and in healthcare. Oh no no no, it's different. We're regulated. We couldn't possibly do that. Yeah. But I you know I I, I if you push a little bit, actually, you discover there's quite a bit that you can do even in a regulated environment. And as you said, if you can't do it yourself, that's fine spin it out, make it a separate thing, um, you know, and, but, but have, make sure that people understand that this is part of, part of your offer, uh, so that some of the positivity that comes from a great new experience comes back to the banking part of your business.
0: Exactly, exactly. It's just, it, and the funny thing is, is that money kind of under underlies everything. So you'd think banks would be more open to, you know, stepping into other areas, but they just, they, everyone wants to stay in their lane so as long as you stay, if you stay in your lane, then you know you can't you can't innovate because that's all you're going to do is generate another iPad app, which people are just going to yawn at.
1: Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Got to think laterally. It's very hard to get uh, get people to do that. But um, you know that that's why I think that you know there are many institutions that are large and successful and famous today that won't be here in ten years just because yep. some entrepreneur somewhere. Is gonna just gonna disrupt them by, by yeah. finding a better way, a way that actually sees to more human needs. Um,
0: Absolutely. So so let's talk a little bit about the future. Where do you think things are gonna be in 10 years' time? It's 2031, and uh, go.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't realize you were a libertarian. I don't know what you're going to think of any of this is kind of interesting. I I think the two issues that we face uh, today, we're, we are at a fundamental crossroads, I think, as a, as a society. And I think the two biggest problems that we face in the world are climate change and income disparity. Mm-hmm. And I think that those two problems, if we address them, I think the future is a very rosy place. uh, But they must be addressed aggressively and systemically. And if we fail to address them, I think the future is a dystopian hellscape. Um, And I think technology actually will play a central role in, in both of them. So if we unpack income disparity a little bit, you know, it used to be you get a college education, you're pretty much guaranteed to have a successful uh, career or as close to a guarantee as you can get. Um, but, you know, in the next 10 years, uh, automation and, and AI and robotics are going to eat jobs at an unprecedented um, pace. and The uh, jobs you know, we
0: know of today.
1: Yeah, that's right. That well, exactly. There will be new jobs. This is this is this is. I'm getting to this point. Sorry, right? sorry. That, that's the to- idea. Is we we got to stop thinking about just protecting the the old jobs. But it's going to happen. I believe at a pace that is going to leave a whole bunch of people. Uh, in the lurch, in the transition, so truck drivers, cooks, waiters, bartenders, warehouse workers, construction workers—you know the the gamut—and then also white collar jobs, um, people who are in clerical positions and 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 stuff like that are are going to suffer um, pain. And then you layer into that social media, and. Which are, are kind of these days, right now, as currently executed, al- you know, algorithms of division and discord, um, and we are headed in a direction where we have, ang- you know, w- well, we can see where we're headed. It just we just had an angry, uh, kind of hopeless mob attack our own capital in the for, for the in the first time in, in U.S. history. Um, that that is only going to get worse, I believe, unless we address it. And I I don't know how to solve this problem. This is a, a big problem. Um, I'm interested in in things like UBI, uh, Universal Basic Income. I'm I'm interested in um, finding a way to curb or 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 cure social media. Social media has incredible power to do good and already has done a lot of good in the world. And it has incredible power to do evil. And somehow, Tell me we about have, it. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta get, get it under control. Um, you know, because if you create something that is, that is addictive and will, and ultimately winds up making you less happy, more lonely and less functional as a human being, um, we we go to a very uh, dark place, and so we need to address that. And I don't know whether it's whether companies have uh, you know the the foresight to self police. I really I really hope they do because I really don't want don't think it's it's a good idea to get the government in, engaged. Uh, but it may have to be the government. They may, and I I don't even think it's breaking them up. I mean I I don't even think that that really works. So I, you know, those are big, big problems. But I think, you know, there's, if you if you think innovatively pivoting to climate change, climate change, you can look at it as an existential crisis or you can look at it as the greatest opportunity for innovation that's ever existed. Like if we can mm-hmm. pivot our entire economy to a green, sustainable, you know, non-hydrocarbon economy, that's really hard and hard things create jobs. Um, you know, I, I don't know how many jobs that a a, a hard pivot to a, a you know a, a Manhattan project level uh, engagement or a World War II level in uh, engagement in in you know changing changing our the kind of underpinnings and basis of our economy would t- what that would take and how many jobs it would produce, but it would it would produce many, um, and you know we would. Uh, we would we would help out the, the the people who are getting automated out of the workplace, and we would heal the environment. And uh, I think businesses need to share the load. I don't want this to be a, a government led thing, although sp- some parts of it may need to. I think businesses, back to purpose led businesses and the power of capitalism. I think if businesses really take their social and environmental. Um, responsibility seriously and maybe pay some taxes, um, with they, w- you know, they can be a, a massive part of this, this transformation. So if you're running a business, um, develop a quest and be serious about it and start to do it. And, um, you know, I really believe that that we can have a, a super positive future. If we don't, if we continue down the path that we're on today, um, things are going to be grim i think in in um, yeah. you know between 10 and 20 years
0: well i think that um you're y- uh close to what you're talking about there um i what's going to happen is in my view is that w- humans will end up doing what humans do best and machines will do end up with machines do best so we're going to see the arise a, a new rise of blue collar work right, right. cuz all white collar work is probably going to be just algorithmized right so the, yep the pushing pixels around and creating uh, pretty charts and Excel work and stuff like that. That's all All to do, but you know, laying bricks, you know, digging, um, you know, cleaning up creeks, that's all going to be human. So I think we're going to see this, this shift to back to physical blue collar work and that's going to be more highly compensated. So your CEOs are going to get paid a fraction of what, you know, the guy who's cleaning up the creek is going to get paid. So that's funny. That's funny. (laughs) I love that. and then we're going to get to a point where all work is Uberized. So you're going to have, uh, you know, a task coming in at one end and a, a worker coming in at another end, and some algorithm is going to match you up. And it, it could be as simple as you're walking down the street and you'll get a text saying, "Hey, um, that creek that you're walking past." needs a little bit of cleanings, so, you know, spend, spend an hour, you know, cleaning it up and we'll debit your account, you know, 40 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever. And, and work will certainly be integrated into your life. And you, as a, as a human being, you have certain criteria, you have mobility, you have the ability to, you know, uh, go into awkward places, etc. things that can, machines, uh, robots can't do. So they're going to use us as an extension and, and sort of work us, work us in that way. So that, that's, that's where I'm thinking we're going to go. Love that. I that. I think it's definitely going to be a, uh, a flip because that's the white collar stuff that's easy for machines to do. And the blue collar stuff, it's, it's, it's tough for machines to do. Harder. So humans are going to yep. end up being doing that and we're going to be highly compensated to do it. So I
1: love that vision. Hopefully. And I am, I am, uh, I am a big believer in, in open innovation and, uh, and the gig economy. And so, yeah, I, th- I, I think those are huge parts of, uh, of, of the future. I, I completely yep. agree with that
0: awesome well i hope we, i hope yeah. we see that vision <laughs> me too so me too. um what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if you want they want to know more about uh what, what was it called story doing story doing,
1: story doing. Story well story. um if you want to see the the methodology we use to get the results i talked about you can go to storydoing.com they're all there and uh, cocollective.com is is where we live on the web and um I am at uh, T Montague on, on Instagram and I'm on LinkedIn. Anybody can reach
0: out to me. Uh, Fantastic. To I'll me put there. all the information in the show notes. So if anybody wants to get in touch, they can go directly to your site. So thank you very much, sir. It was a great conversation. Love talking with you.
1: Thanks for having me, Chris.
0: Talk to you later. Take care. Bye.